the Bellies Interviews podcast. Brett Dreyer here with Spencer Paulus. And Spencer, the new issue of the magazine is out on newsstands now. That's Jan Feb. Got some great stories in there. I see you looking at one right now. Fred, that's right. You did an excellent story on Jen Valenti, who is on USA Cycling's newly announced national team. She's a track rider and also a silver medalist at the Olympics from the Team Pursuit back in Rio. But more recently, she had a pretty awesome result on the World Cup of uh, track cycling, didn't she? Yeah, she won the round of the World Cup in Manchester. Manchester. Taking down the reigning world champion in the process. So way to go, Jen Valente. She's a real rising star, someone to watch. I think she's going to try and compete in two events at the Tokyo Olympics. So rising star in the world of American track racing. But we got to talk about another rising star in the world of American track racing because this week you were able to link up with Daniel Holloway. That's right, Fred. Actually, I uh, talked to him over the holidays, so it's still pretty current, though. He should be over in Europe as you're listening to this, more or less. Did a, he did a six-day race, and then he's gearing up for the final race of the Track World Cup. And he is also a World Cup winner this season in the Omnium. He has such an interesting background. We talked, uh, this is longer than most of our interviews podcasts because he just goes and goes and tells, he, he tells some good stories. He's, he's got an interesting background because he started as an under 23 riding for Baby Garmin. If you remember that team, that was um, Jonathan Vodder's sort of initial foray into a team. And then he moved on to a, the domestic scene and won a crit national championship right away, kind of kicked around and uh, ended up sort of last season, had some trouble with his team and was doing these uh, wacky red hook fixie crits, which I think are your favorite actually, Fred. Yeah, it's funny to call him a track rider now because uh, I have seen Daniel Holloway at many stages in his career. Uh, in 2009, I went over to the USA Cycling House in Belgium to write about the development program. And he was over there as a U23 racing in all these like U23 road races. Then yeah, I saw him a few times at like crit nationals and domestic road races. And then yes, this past year at the Red Hook Crit, I'm walking around the warm-up zone. There's Holloway getting ready to race. So he has dabbled in so many different disciplines of biking. I gotta imagine that like Red Bull Rampage will be next. <laughs> I, I hope not for his health, but uh, yeah, you know he actually did grow up racing track, so it's not too it's not too out of out of his character. But uh, great interview. Let's listen now. Daniel Holloway, welcome to the Velo News Podcast. Thanks for having me. We're psyched to have you here. You have been off to an awesome start to this track season in the winter. Um, we're recording this during the holiday break between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure when our listeners will get this, but let's catch them up real quick. You had your first uh, World Cup win in the Omnium down in, in Cali. Is that right? Uh, no, Santiago, Chile. Oh, my mistake. Yep. In Santiago. So this was the Omnium discipline, and I'm pretty sure you were actually the first American man to ever win a World Cup Omnium. Is that right? Um, I believe so, and I think it's been a, quite some time even for an individual event, scratch race, points race type. Any men's endurance, I think it's been a while since we've had a top step uh, for, the, for the U.S. That's awesome. So uh, give our listeners a quick a primer on what the Omnium is, and Definitely talk to me like I'm a five year old. That's kind of the that's <laughs> yeah. the that's the rule of thumb for all of our visitors on the Vela News podcast. I, I'd say seven. You know. Oh, that's that's really kind of you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the Omnium on the track is a four race format, uh, scratch race, uh, 15k, 40 laps. First guy across the line wins, like your typical criterion. Um, the next event is a 15k tempo, which is a point a lap, basically. The first guy across the line, every lap scores one point, and the rider with the most points at the end of the 15K wins the event. Um, so we have 1K to kind of get up to speed and let things go in, and then they ring the bell, and then points start. So really, it's a 36-lap race for points. Um, and then in that 15K, if somebody takes a lap, they get an additional 20 points on top of the one point they've been scoring every lap. So... Um, it's been a that event has been extremely difficult to to pick a tactic and you know that's going to be successful is how the scratch race tactically was was going on but so the tempo has just been a tricky one to figure out and, and a fun one to watch um, across the spectrum um, the third event is the elimination so again we get uh, kind of 
three or four laps to get up to speed. And then every other lap, they pull the last guy um, across the line out of the race. Um, so in a full Omnium field, 24 riders, it ends up being uh, a pretty long event, especially if some guy doesn't realize he's out and stays in there for a long time. Then they pull out a yellow flag. And even in the yellow flag or whatever, they we're still racing. We want to hold our position. So it can, can be a, a pretty long event um, if people don't get it get it right um and the last race is a points race which every 10 laps they ring a bell for points uh five three two and one um and those points are added to your current omnium total so somebody in sixth place can lap the field three times get 60 points and then shoot up the standings um so the points it's very points race driven the omnium um, but it still behooves you to get solid results from from start to finish and start on the right foot but you can come from behind in the points race and i think that's what makes this new format um really exciting compared to the older format which would had you know three other events a flying lap a kilometer and a 4k uh pursuit in there so they've taken out all the timed events made it full mass start um and that got me really excited and it's kind of pushed me into the the direction i am now so once that change came down after, after essentially the um, uh, at the end of last season, right? Uh, kind of. There was a lot of rumor mills, and you know, even before Rio, there was they were going to let Rio happen, and then you know, hey, they were they were going to change it and pull the timed timed events out of there. Um, so once that was official, it was definitely really exciting to hear that, and um, you know, did my best effort to to get in line and, and start racing that discipline. Nice, and so. Looking ahead, I'd assume World Championships is going to be one of your main goals this winter? Yeah, we have Worlds um, into February, March, um, February 28th through March 4th, I believe. Um, so that's huge, not only for the Army, but for the Men's Team Pursuit program that um, recently was just announced. Um, and that, yeah, that program has just been phenomenal to be a part of. It just, I mean, there's not a day we haven't had fun and, and laughed the whole time. I think we've kind of had one little down moment as far as morale but that that changed around really fast and uh, we've just been having a ton of fun and i think we're going faster than 99 percent of the people gave us credit that we could ever do so it's been fun just being a part of that process and so i i presume then you'll be racing the pursuit as well uh for the worlds and and potentially as well for the upcoming final uh world cup yeah track, so track the team pursuit um team for worlds has not been selected okay um there's I'm not sure if the long team has even been selected yet. I think we're going to get through Belarus, um, and then we'll have a, a pre-Worlds camp uh, to be decided location where we're basically going to invite kind of the, the 10 guys that have been doing the team pursuit stuff full gas um, and, and pick the best five, maybe six guys to, to pick the best, fastest team we can we can put on the track uh, for, for World Championships. So it's not not beholden by any means that you know I'll get to ride the, the team pursuit, and but... I think, barring sickness or injury, you know the the qualification should be there for the Omnium ride at least. Nice, and so um, as as you mentioned, you're part of this new national team that USA Cycling recently announced before the holidays. Uh, tell me about how that is going to be able to support your ambitions as a uh, sort of blossoming track Omnium guy. Um, I think it, it's finally kind of a little bit of you know black and white of of. Um, what support we're going to get finally from from USA Cycling, and um, now it's you know you know if you were there you you read about it we kind of get almost anything that we can call and ask you know you know my point of contact is Greg Henderson um, and say hey you know I need a power meter I need a lab test you know I want to test what my VO2 is right now or hey I'm like you know need to see a psychiatrist a sports psych um, work some stuff out or you know I just can't lose these last couple pounds and so I think you know we're going to have a trust trove of resources that even when I was a U23, I was quote on the national team, but you know, we didn't have access to those resources. It was still you know, a pretty big gap in the support we have. But now I think we, it, it allows a, our toolbox to grow, um, you know, tremendously. And then that gives us the confidence that we don't have to jump through more hoops to get access to those things. It's an email, email or a phone call away to say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I need some help. And, they want to do that, and I think we execute that part for older guys like myself. You know, Hedgeberry. You know, even Eric Young is a little on the older side, but to show the young guys, um, new sponsors, that this thing's up and rolling, and it can be stuff we can invest in 
emotionally, time-wise, financially. So these kids we've never heard of, you know, or Kenny Boots or Riley Sheehan, um, you know, these kids that have so much opportunity and time ahead of them, they can see how this process works. And it just hopefully attracts more and more kids that, you know, want to say, oh, I want to, you know, go to the tour. It's like, here's just another option to the, the biggest platform almost in sports. And, the and Olympics. Could, the yeah. Olympics. And, yeah. You know, the U.S., you know, AC is, is supporting that endeavor with a lot of tools. Nice. And so along those lines, in terms of those resources and the training and preparation, tell me about how you shifted gears to uh, focus on the track Omnium going into this season. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, 16 was this weird roller coaster ride, a lot of different things happening, a lot of new experiences. Um, and I kind of caught wind in the fall that, you know, the men's team pursuit stuff was going to be revamped and, you know, kind of put my hand in the air, called Jim Miller and said, Hey, you know, is this happening? I'd like to be involved. And at the time I had a knee injury and stuff and said, Hey, I can't kind of sideline at the moment, but you know, as soon as I'm healthy, I'd love to, you know, be a part of this. And, you know, we, we talked about it and stuff. And he's like, yeah, for sure. Open invitation. And, um, you know, that was the main focus of what I heard that USCC was supporting full gas. And it still is like the team pursuit program comes first and foremost of what, what's being supported. And I think I'm, showing that like the, the trickle down effect of still being good in an Omnium format, being fit, having the resources to be tactically, you know, sound with Greg Henderson in the corner and um, Gary Sutton, that, you know, there's other avenues to succeed, you know, along with the, the men's Madison. So um, the Omnium success is kind of an offshoot of, of being part of the team pursuit program. Interesting. Interesting. I was uh, talking to Jennifer Valenti, who's on the women's side, yep. when I was down in Colorado Springs recently. She was telling me this kind of interesting thing about how her approach to the Omnium is to really focus on like film study, yep. watching watching the races, watching the tactics, and all that sort of thing. Is that something that you have been doing? Yeah, I mean, I've done it in in crits. You know, just we don't have a lot of replays of of criteriums, but I do. You know, when they are live streamed and they're um, inventory, I definitely go back and I watch everything because you can have an impact on a race and, you know, a breakaway can come back. And in the, in the moment in time, you don't comprehend why that came back. You know, you're trying to run all the scenarios. So you go back and rewatch the race to understand who missed it or who was chasing. So I could take that information into the next crit. So I've done it with crits for sure. And I've done, you know, started watching some of the men's world cup stuff to, you know, Gary Sutton is giving me some names. Hey, in this event, watch how he races this. In this event, watch how he races this. And these are the guys that are at the, at the top of the pile. And watch how each guy gets to a top three their individual way. And it's, hey, you know, in this scenario, it's going to have to do this. So it's building all those, you know, kind of muscle memories of the brain that when in the heat of the moment, you know, you've seen every everything a dozen times, even though I've never actually been in that position to know, okay, this is what the last successful guy did, do that kind of thing. So I've been watching, you know, a little bit, probably not as much as her. And um, we've had a video guy on the road with us that, that has footage of our individual selves racing, which is nice, which I've never, never really had. It's kind of a center focus to watch what I'm doing. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'll be excited to get my, my eyes on that stuff once I get back down to the Springs. Nice. Very cool. And going back for a second to, to your, to your world cup win, what did you take away from that in, in terms of, uh, lessons learned or, or even maybe things you didn't quite do right, but you still managed to pull it off. What are you taking from that and going into the, the next world cup round and world championships within, in your mind? Yeah, I think we, you know, had a great scratch race, um, made some good moves. And, um, with Henderson, we made up a plan that, you know, if, if it was four or less guys, we gamble and, and hope that it comes back. If it's four or more, I need to be in it. And for the breakaway. For the breakaway. Okay. And four guys up the road. And, you know, he just, you know, he's a very calm guy on the infield. And it's just a little bit of hand gestures and, you know, uh, talking loud enough where I can hear, but not others, if they're not focused on it, can hear. And he's like, you got to get across. And sure enough, boom, go across, work together. And then after that, it was just save the legs. And one guy went. And it's like, okay, that's not worth the energy, energy expenditure in this moment for two Omnium points. So just let that guy go race himself into a hole and, and be conservative. So we, we played that one really well. And in the tempo, same thing, another uh, breakaway and sharing points with my breakmates. And then there was this moment with eight to go where we were kind of just, you know, 40 meters off the back of the field. We were going to lap them. 
and the field wasn't racing because they're not scoring any points, so they don't want to expend energy. So kind of this cat and mouse, but I had to make some, a move that separated myself from the guys I'm sharing points with um, to, to secure the, you know, the event win. And so kind of like it was great that Greg and I were on the same wave, that just share points, share points, and then attack the breakaway, collect some, and evaluate and either lap the field and use that momentum that you get the plus 20 and those other guys are scrambling or you have a couple point buffer going into the last couple laps and going back to the infield after that race and after I won that event he's like I, in my head I was thinking you got to attack him but I can't yell at you attack without the guys knowing <laughs> right. you, you need to attack and sure enough you attacked and so it's it's really nice that Greg and I are on a very similar page early on um and the elimination rode a, a great race until the last few laps and kind of had a brain fart. I think um, I had heard the bell uh, wrongly and, and sprinted a lap early because, you know, we were at that point spread all over the track and they were ringing the bell for the Ukrainian guy who's off the front or okay. leading the race. And so by the time I heard the bell, I th kind of thought it for, was for us. And so I messed that one up. Not a, not a huge points loss, but, you know, something to be cognizant of moving forward of being really in tap with the every other lap on the bells and having a communication plan with with Greg to make sure that if I'm messing up he can communicate properly that hey that's a that's a mess up um in the points race um you know I had one guy to follow I put him on on the back foot pretty early by taking a lap um and then once I got that lap it was like okay I just more or less kind of had to follow that guy you lapped the field just yeah. just to be clear. yeah I lapped the field with right. uh, two or three other guys mm -hmm. um and I just had a lapse in concentration and, you know, fatigue and everything where the guy I was supposed to watch kind of goes off the front with three other guys and he's going on to lap the field and become very, very close in points. And kind of this, in that moment in time, it's like, how much energy do I expend to try to bring this back or just rest, let him take the points and have him being a whole going into the last 30 laps with me kind of recovered and then start building up, you know, building on more points. And so for... I ended up winning, which I <laughs> very nice, but it was very kind of touch and go uh, for 30 laps of whether or not I could do it and, and just banking on fitness and um, a little bit of luck, you know, in the points races being that, you know, typically the top two, three guys watch each other in the last couple of sprints, the guys that want to move up in the bottom of the classment go and the top three guys are watching each other. And basically the points are absorbed from lower classmate riders, which typically works in the leader's, you know, favor. So I had that happen for me, you know, in this instance and just, you know, got through that one by, by a whisker. Some would say sounds yeah. like, it sounds like basically it's a one big math problem. Yeah. All the time. It's moving is, chess. That, that like kind of give, gives me the willies a little bit. I don't know if I was going to do that. I feel like I would need to incorporate uh, arithmetic into my interval <laughs> interval schedule. Yeah. So you like, you have both your intervals, but then at the same time, you're also trying to like do like yeah. five times seven or some, I don't know. Some well, sort of I've, crazy math. I've done that in one podcast. <laughs> Good thing I it's did. only addition, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did that in one, I mean, I've, I do that in my training that like on a previous podcast is like, because in points racing and just, even in crits, it's like you have to be mentally astute and like aware of what's going on that, you know, like during hard stuff. I just, yeah, it's simple math, five times five, just anything, but you have to think numbers because even in standalone points tracing is like you have to be, if you, if the board goes down or they're not updating the points, you have to have an idea of where your competitors are at and like, okay, that guy scored five, three, two, one. And, and you have to keep this five, six person points table in your head oh my god to the best possible <laughs> it, it, like it's a guess you know but I, I would imagine if you talk to the best points races in the world world champions it's like yeah they they would look at the board but they didn't rely on it they had their own head count uh, yeah, on, and who they're they're racing against um and you know it's it's part of the game it's you have to have that that rolling math board in your own head uh your coach has to have it and then you know hopefully with the biggest events is the scoreboard on the is working on the board that um you know you're getting some some actual computer help and 
then the officials are, are getting the math right also. There you go. And for all you collegiate racers out there, <laughs> maybe you could get some uh, class credits if you do a points race. You could have your uh, get, get a math class credit if you're racing the points race. Here's another idea, Daniel. Uh, you're saying that you didn't want for Greg's instructions to sort of be overheard by your competitors. Yeah. Have you guys ever thought of coming up with your own secret language? Uh, we've discussed, uh, and it started with Jen because Jen was crushing the Omniums and um, they were a new working pair together. Greg is a coach and Jen is a rider. And even Jen um, and her racing the Omnium was, was still very new. But basically came with this idea of a prop box, basically getting a box of items on the infield that Greg would just hold up and they each meant uh, a certain thing. And with I him, love it. <laughs> so he would, he would like... It confused Jen one of the World Cups. She was like, oh, just stay cool as a cuke, mate. Cool as a cuke. <laughs> and she was just like, "My, like, what, Greg? I don't understand. And he's, cool as a cucumber. Just stay it. And it's like, okay, okay, just be cool. Yes. Yeah, the kiwi so, accent's yeah. another element there. Yeah. So it's just like, get him a cucumber, you know? <laughs> it's like, just stay cool. And then just. But you like, need a fresh one for each event because it would start yeah, kind of gross. You know, and then like red fuzzy dice for just like, you know, roll the dice with this one. It's, it's like, uh, it's a hot situation. Roll the dice and mm. see what happens. Um, then, obviously, with you know us being the national team, uh, is you know being a bald eagle and basically being eagle was just be high on the track, be observant, but be ready to strike at, at any moment. Um, what else that was there? Um, man, I mean, we had this some, is even better yeah. than I thought. I, yeah. I was just kind of joking, but this is way better than I so even expected. We were gonna have a box with props, where we were gonna have them roll out in a trench coat. And then, you know, inside the, each side of the trench coat was pockets with, with these items stuffed in there. So we had uh, probably six or eight at, you know, in the heat of travel and all of us talking. And I think it's a pretty good idea. And I think if, if myself or Jen or kind of the team collectively brought a box with these items, Greg would be like, I'm using these. And we'd have to give him a cheat card, you know, like on the NFL, they got the little wristband yeah. with the codes on it. But yeah. it would be pretty hilarious that if, as as a as a unit, we were sort of being successful enough that the coaching staff did that. It would just make all the other nations just like just question everything that they do, which would be awesome. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, shifting gears for for a bit now, uh, you had mentioned that your 2016 was kind of a weird year, and I assume you're referring to the fact that you focused a lot on the uh, Red Hook fixed gear criteriums that season yeah so i mean we had some sponsorship woes um kind of early season stuff that made for the first half of the year quarter of the year kind of stressful and this unknown situation and then i ended up riding for intelligentsia coffee um and they took great care of me and i ended up just kind of riding for myself the rest of the year with kind of what happened with team sponsorship um i need to take a personal step back and and Kind of get control of, of myself and everything like that and i was ended up being kind of frustrated with the criteriums and things like that and I actually originally um the red hooks were on the schedule but kind of for my own ambitions i called up um you know ben sharp and was like hey man like don't know what i'm doing anymore kind of like uh, i think i could do really well at time trial nationals i need a coach you know like it's nine weeks away just need help trying to be the best guy and he's just sitting there like bug-eyed like are you crazy like <laughs> this is why time like you, you th really and i had shown myself that in europe and stuff when i was racing um as a u23 i could time trial pretty well if i was fit and rode the tt bike a lot so i was like yeah why not go for something completely different um it was an event that i can pretty much control everything that i'm doing and if guys are faster they're faster it's plain and simple but if i put in my best possible ride you know, I thought I could be in for a really good result, you know, um, and I just needed to get that control back of my tires, my wheels, my bike, my skin suits, you know, everything, my warm up and even the race itself, not being influenced by any other one rider um, that maybe wasn't looking to have their own personal best ride, but just to go in and infect somebody else's race or another team's team's race. So um, I got really fit for that, which was great. And um that kind of helped have a little bit of success with the Red Hook stuff. Brooklyn, I was, um, you know, on the podium. And, Fifth, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a pretty cool experience. And then London. And you was, missed that horrible <laughs> crash that everyone was watching on the internet that year. Yeah, that was Moto wild. stalled out at the very start. Um, I missed that one pretty fairly, but um, a teammate of mine, um, Corinne's boyfriend, Nate, 
hit the mirror with his arm. Oh. Um, but we came, the whole team came out of that hole. Um, you know, very lucky that situation. That was pretty wild for that to be our first Red Hook experience and have that <laughs> that event happen. I mean, we, right we knew it. kind of the chaos of Red Hook, some other events that happened that were just like crazy and crashes and stuff. But for that to be basically front and center and, and even in the qualifying, there was some gnarly stuff that we were just like, we might be in over our heads, like on as far as how crazy we want to get and, the, you know, putting ourselves around others that want to get more crazy. Uh, is it is it just the the crowd that shows up? Just the people who want to prove themselves in this really h- h- visible race? Is that why it's like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the racing crowd itself, yeah, has um, the event event itself. Just like showing up to Athens or any other big big crit, is it pushes guys out of their untrained zone. You know, like I think in most crits in the country, you know, eighty percent of them, most guys can be in over their head physically, but you know, technically they're, they're still fine, but you start showing them to the biggest crits, then they're pushed out of their technical capable zones. And then that's when things get dangerous. So I think Red Hook does that for these guys that ride, you know, fixed gears in the street or training or for fun or smaller races that don't have the speed or the, the course tightness or things like that, that once they're in a group that's going exponentially faster than what they're used to and what their skill set is, they're in a hairy situation. Um, I'd imagine these yeah. people, you just have never even seen them before in your life. You never yeah. raced against them. You have no idea what to expect out of them. Yeah, and we had some road guys. I mean, um, I think it was Kyle Perry from Texas Roadhouse that year that it, it's it's a complete, if you don't ride fixed gear off, or like, you think you're being so fast, like, oh, I can stop in this time frame, but your stopping distance is so much further than what your neurofeedback and, and normal timing is with, with road bike. And, so we've seen a couple of those where road guys are just going way too hot into a corner and they can't just they a, can't handle it. Hit you know? a pedal or something or Yeah, they either they lean into it and pedal strike or slide out or they check up and then they're just going into a fence or they look for a gap and you know That's Kyle, crazy. They they hit a hay bale and go flying over no the No brakes, fixed gear. Yeah. So were you guys before this were you were you actually taking your bikes out to like an abandoned parking lot or something to figure <laughs> like just get the basics I, I obviously you're an extremely experienced criterium racer you know you won us pro crit in 2010 racetrack raced a lot of six days all that stuff but i mean this is still pretty different isn't it this is wildly different it's yeah. nothing that i i mean i never i'd maybe done less than a handful of fixed gear rides for any sort of training previously and that bike had brakes on it um but no going into brooklyn is just like I had other stuff, you know, going on that I, I didn't spend enough time or energy going out and taking the, the fix your bike into an empty parking lot and just getting the, the lean over feel on the road. And <laughs> I built that bike that I raced on the day of the race. Like oh, I, put the, I put the bottom bracket in with like a worn out strap wrench. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just running around the parking lot there. And I mean, I just... Gone up, took a few laps and then took my hands off the handlebars and then looked down and like my shorts weren't even. And so just like not even thinking, I wanted the coast and like hands oh. off the bars and tried oh. to adjust my shorts. And, you know, fixed gear does what a fixed gear does and just like bucked me and I barely caught myself. And then oh. I'm like looking around and I was like, did anybody see that? Like <laughs> of all people, like that should not happen. <laughs> and, uh, but it's like, it, if you ask anybody that rides a fixed gear a lot, it's just like, it happens if you take a big time off. But it only happens once. Like you, like <laughs> never the rest of the re- that season did that sensation me forgetting to pedal happen. But it's so scary that it like you get traumatized. And you're like, okay, I, I got to pedal the whole time. Well, you only let a dog <laughs> bite you once. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. I mean, what other? Were there any other other real like memorable sketchy moments in that race? Um, I mean, to I think on the on the other side of the spectrum with Red Hook is that. It's a race. It's just like any other. Sure. Once you get up to speed and you start, the, the pack gets flowing. It's like any other race. You know, the guys know you're at the front. The guys up there know where the braking zone is, when to start, you know, getting on the brakes, so to speak, backpedaling, stops getting, whatever. And the line is, you know, is, is pretty dialed. Um, so it's once you get in the race, it's, it's pretty much fine. And the guys that are actually racing are all together and have that respect that we don't need to be chopping or doing anything too stupid. Um, it's when the pace really slows down that somebody that, that is above their technical skill grade gets up there 
And then when, when the front speeds up again, these guys are a little bit out of control and it sorts itself out soon enough, but it does get dodgy there. Typical um, criterium stuff. Actually. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. it happens in road crits, brakes or not. Road yeah. racing stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know, if, if we don't, if the, the stronger guys don't want that to happen, then we need to stay on the gas yeah. and, and keep it fast. If, you know, if we don't do that, then we we're opening ourselves up for the guys that have maybe a little less skill to get up there and, and let things get a little hairy. Why do you think these fixed gear crits are so popular right now? I mean, maybe it's just a perception thing because they do a great job publicizing, but it seems like it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, Trimble's done an amazing job um, with the format he's created, but it's really, you don't need anything to race. Anybody that hears about it can find out when registration is register and they show up and they, they get to race, you know, and it's, you race with everybody. It's not categorized. You're not separated by, experience or a point system or anything like that. So, you know, new kids on fixed gears get to show up and they know who Colin Strickland is. They know who Aldo is. They know who I am to say, man, I get to race with that guy. And it may not be a direct one-on-one race. We may be in different qualifying heats and they never get to show up to the final, but it's that it's way closer than a cat five guy. They would never gets the experience. Even if we'd race the same, Athens Twilight course, he races at 8 a.m., I race at 10 p.m. You know, there's no crossing of paths to make that guy feel, you know, that little bit special to say, yeah, it was open, I had my fair chance, I just wasn't good enough. So that open format, I think, leads for a lot of people to just come and and try um, of all skill levels. And, you know, it's it's exciting that, you know, if a guy could have his best possible day and and have a chance to race, race the final. So I think that keeps it really open. Whereas if you look at the USA cycling, you know, it's like, I have to start at a cat five and it could be a triathlete that goes up on group rides and destroys cat ones. He knows who are cat ones or pros. And it's like, man, I'm fast enough to be in these category one fields, but I have to go through this five and through this four. And like these notoriously kind of dangerous categories when he's like, man, I'm just fine racing in the cat ones, the cat twos that I think puts people off. Um, and things like that. So, and then even our, if, if you talk to people about cat five, cat four, cat three, it's like, and you hear them talk about it, they, it's as dangerous or more dangerous than what you hear from red hook stories, you know, of like the complete carnage of like, I can't be a cat three anymore. Like it's yeah. so dangerous. And you're <laughs> it's like, true. Yep. what, you know? So it's like each version of the sport has its own, you know, people of how they view it and the danger aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. That's it's more inclusive. Yeah. yeah, and in some ways, I mean, it's a obviously very different sides of the spectrum, but it is a little bit similar in some ways to triathlon, where yeah, you know, everyone kind of shows up and goes Does at their one. best or, thing. or a marathon. Yeah, running marathon. Yeah, everybody's there, same course, same general start time within half an hour. Yeah, so. and and I think a, yeah. a majority of the Red Hook crowd too wants to go and do their personal best, but more importantly, they just want to have a, a, like a crap ton of fun. Whereas, like, you can't say that about, like, a serious crit. is like, there's guys that want to do their personal best, but they take it way too serious. And their whole life leading up to that one particular race is probably way too serious than most of these kids coming into Red Hook to race. And just, like, for them, it's this whole event weekend. It's not necessarily even them pedaling their bike hard for the 15 minutes they get the opportunity to pedal hard for. It's like, man, I get to travel to Milan with my friends and see this rad city and ride my fixed gear bike through this city and meet new people with that are very like-minded and, and really just explore. And then there, it happens to be that there's this race course that they get to pin a number on and go do the best of their ability. And if they don't make it, they're not like crying about it. They're just like, man, that was wild. And it was probably more than they, what they even expected to begin with. And they're just jazzed. And then they get to drink and have fun and then, learn and watch, watch or just watch the big race. Yeah. yeah all you know, stuff. and just be like, nice. and I think they're more in tune with reality to be like, man, yeah, I, I probably can't keep up with Colin Strickland or Tristan Yule or these guys that are getting top five, top 10. And they're just like, and they're not even trying to, they're just there to really have a good time and maybe just racing against their pocket of friends that all came and said, like, out of our group, who's going to do the fastest lap yeah. time, you know, and it's just a race <laughs> nice. with that little pocket amongst this bigger thing that's actually going on. That's cool. Well, it seems like even though 2016 kind of was framed by this uncertainty with sponsorship and whatever, it seems like it was a valuable and fun experience to have this 
kind of a detour, so to speak, into the Red Hook crit world for a while, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. like, I don't regret anything no. from that, you know, going and doing those races and talking to those people that, like, live and breathe that and, and talking to Dave Trimble and his view on promoting the event and what he wants to keep and what he won't sell out for and his view on how racing should be and how the sport of cycling can grow by taking some of his ideas um, and then talking to the sponsors of those events and what they see in cycling and why they choose Red Hook and not USA Crits or other events, you know? And so it's just like, you know, I feel very fortunate to be, you know, kind of accepted into that world pretty quickly um, and, and garner respect that I could give my thoughts, my ideas and see them implemented a little bit, you know, moving forward. And um, I still take a lot, you know, now into the future of what I saw there um, and how people approach different things or um, how they gain sponsorship. It's, it's unique and stuff. So I try to, you know, take all those tools and put them in my toolbox and, and use them when necessary, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And I'd imagine your, your perspective is pretty unique given that, I mean, it's, it's interesting looking back at your sort of resume or, or, or however you want to call it, the, the move to do Red Hook in this last year is, it seems like it's just one of many times when you've kind of gone off and tried a different discipline of cycling or a different, a different way of racing for a, for a season or two. You know, you have experience racing six days. Now it's on to the national team for track. Previously, lots of criteriums. Did a stint with Garmin on their under-23 under development team. Tell me about, like, your mindset. Is it just a matter of kind of taking it as it comes and, uh, and trying something new when the opportunity presents itself? Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, you can look back like my under-23 career, and I'm more or less kind of had that silver platter. I was, you know, 20 years old, brought into VMG, which was pre-slipstream, but that was kind of like the big national, you know, under 23 team, um, which morphed into Baby Garmin, Chipotle stuff. And that was kind of like the silver platter. It's like you were the pick of the litter in the U.S. You know, everybody, you know, TJ Van Garter and a lot of guys, Caleb Fairley, um, you know, a lot of guys that went out of the Pro Tour came out of that that years, the, that handful of years of, of racing. And we got almost whatever we needed as far as racing equipment, coaching, uh, resources, and more or less probably any guy on that team probably thought they were just going to go pro tour or whatever it was at the time. And some guys, as, as they got older, saw quick, you know, sooner than others that they weren't going to make it and detoured into real life or, you know, a, you know, maybe a pro team in the U.S., and I was riding it out, like thinking that like I'm gonna all U23 years here, and then the discussions were like, hey, we have a spot for you, you know, at the big boy team, and that's where you're gonna go. And leading into that, I had a killer season in Europe, winning races in Spain, and um, you know, podiums in in Belgium, and and things like that, where my progression was, you know, visibly on the right track. And then um, whatever it was, you know, things that. I'm probably not privy to or whatever. Just it didn't pan out. I didn't go pro tour. I didn't go to Europe. Um, but the discussions were, hey, it's it's still possible. Go back to the U.S. There's now a platform of races that if you can showcase at, it is a proper door back to Europe. You know, so just go get that road volume in in the U.S. Focus on those races. Get some results, and you know, Europe is waiting. It's it's not not there anymore. Um, so for a couple of years, I focused on that. Like, okay, I picked the the three to five races that I felt were the biggest showcases of two European teams that I need to get results at, at those just handful of races, and that'll be my ticket. And what I've learned from that is that, you know, putting so many eggs in so few baskets is just bad juju. I mean, <laughs> it's bike racing, and it's mm -hmm. life that sickness – you know, injury, things that are out of your control Sponsors can happen, go, you, know, you know, that yeah. you miss opportunities. And it's like being a sprinter, it's like you can't just ride into a top 10 or a top five and be like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, you got a top five against these guys. It's like sprinting is win or lose. Mm. There's no like, oh, man, you got third or you got second. Like, it's, it's you win or lose. It's not like – and no disrespect to the climbers. I mean, obviously, I have my biased view, but it's like you have these guys that ride top 10 up mountains and up climbs and – you know, they're minutes back, but they're 10th. And they're like, oh, man, like, you we're going to invest time and money into you because you got 10th three and a half minutes back from the top World Tour guys. And you're just like, it's three minutes. That's a huge gap. And, yeah, there's a small percentage of the kids, small percentage of the kids that have 
close that three minute gap. And now, now they're the leaders, but like so much money and energy I've seen is like those kids that have been 10th and spent so much time and energy on them. Just like it to me, it's, it's crazy. It's a world I don't understand. I may yeah, never that's understand, a, but it's an interesting point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I see but your it's, point. but as, as a sprinter, you, it's a, it's a win or lose world. It's, you know, you don't, you can't say, look, here's the film where I got cut off. Like I was going to die yeah. or, you know, like I touched my brakes mm. and it was like, well, you should just wrote it out. And it was like, how many times I've heard that from directors is <laughs> like, you should have just shot the gap and you're just like, but I wouldn't race tomorrow. Like I wouldn't like I'd be out for the season or like whatever it is. And it's, it's just two different worlds within cycling. Mm. You know, it's, it's, you live or die by the sword in, in sprinting. So yeah, I chased the dream, you know, for a couple of years with Bissell and, and Kelly and, and along the way, you won Criterium Nationals, yeah, US won Pro, which Pro is, Crit, which was pretty rad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> can't and complain. That, that was right out of Garmin too, in 2010. So yeah, 2010, the year yeah. after you had left that squad. So it's yeah, pretty so good it's, way yeah. to kick off the domestic career. Yeah. Not not too not too shabby. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then um, you know, then I got signed by Kelly, and um, super excited. I had my best winner ever. I was putting out really good numbers, and then crashed in Asia, fractured some ribs, got staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I battled staff more or less that whole year, figuring out different antibiotics. And, um, you know, they showed up as kind of saddle sores. So it was a rough, rough go physically and mentally that, that whole year. And then, um, you know, when one door closes, another opens. And I found my way to, to Raleigh um, in the U.K. And that program was pro- promised a lot more European racing as Raleigh was growing. They wanted to go back to Europe. They wanted to build that, that brand back to what it was. Um, and at the end of the day, kind of that European schedule didn't, didn't pan out. And, um, the UK is a whole different lifestyles. Um, you know, the, the team was great. The people were great, but just like living in a place that was gray, mm. 80% of the time was, was really hard for a California boy where I saw sun 95% of the time. And, um, I didn't really catch it until the tail end of, of my trip there. And, even coming back and talking to people, it was just like, you know, had seasonal depression disorder. Yeah. Um, and the team dynamic, it wasn't, you know, perfect by any means. So it's just kind of these things that I'd never been a part of, you know, kind of on the depression side and, and understanding what that could do to you. Plus the team environment and that coming together and having this compounding effect that um, I didn't understand immediately in the time, but, you know, moving forward, I understand how that could have happened. And, I think it happens to you know a lot of people um, in the sport, whether they go to a place like that or even here, is how much we we fight our emotions and, and just try to be this rock solid character and show that like nothing's ever wrong. And you know because if you have any sort of kind of negative connotation, that may be an opportunity that goes away. Whether that's you're talking to somebody who talks to a sponsor, they're like, oh, this guy was kind of like you know bumming today. It's not not that fun to be around. And that's your impression that you get, or um, you know, it just creeps on, and, and your fitness declines. So I think it's something that you know, we battle as cyclists is is that you know being vulnerable to our emotions and, and talking to people and say, hey, look, I don't, I don't know what's going on, man. Like I, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to ride my bike. I don't really want to do anything. I just want kind of want to lay here and, and stay at a television that like on a channel that I really don't even care about. But it's just enough mind numbing that it takes me out of this other world that I don't want to experience and. It's really messed up because, on the other hand, you like you love it. Like you love cycling. You want like I want to go ride my bike all the time, and I want to be successful. Then you have this other like emotion that's on the other side of the spectrum, and that that creates this emotion that you don't know what it is because you're like, how do I not want to do something that I love? Like, and that that I mean I've I've gone through it you know the past couple of years and um, finally talked to a sports psych this year to kind of like bring some of that out and get comprehension, but it it's scary. Um, so I ended 2012 kind of in that, that pocket of thought and then got an opportunity to ride for Mike's bikes and back into a territory where I was with familiar faces that brought me up as a junior that, that believed in me. This is a California this, bike shop. Yeah. Yep. California, mm-hmm. um, chain of bike shops. And they're like, look, man, no pressure. There's some young kids here with talent. Just teach them what, you know, guide them along the way. We're here to have fun. And, um, Roman Killoon, um, was on the team and talked to him and he's like, yeah, man, it's great group to be around um one of my best friend eric's riggs was on the team so i had some familiar faces and and a, s- a sense of comfort going into that that i could be calm about um it was a complete unknown but it was just like go have fun and that when i fell in love with the bike and the process 
that I could go ride my bike and just stare at the views in Morgan Hill and Santa Cruz and all those places I ride and like actually absorb this, this beautiful landscape that I'm actually fortunate enough to go see. Um, and that encouraged me to just go ride my bike more, ride my bike more to, to see and, and, and soak in all the stuff that I've just ridden past all these years of training and trying to get to this higher place is just kind of live in that moment. And, you know, the legs came and started being really successful and found that, that form that, that I know is in there when things are well. And, um, started winning races, having fun. And then, uh, more Vita picked me up to race kind of the domestic, uh, their domestic calendar, which was Philly air force, Bose, um, and which went really well. Podium to Air Force had a great um, Philly, considering coming off like you know regional road races and crits, um, and then kind of got sick at both, but had a great time. And then bit off more than I could chew going to China, um, and it's one of those instances where I look back where I knew ten thousand percent better was that I came back from both a little sick, and I was gonna go to China like two and a half weeks instead of just going like get one hundred percent healthy. It's like oh no, it's the opportunity. I got to ride. I got to ride. I got to mm. train. And mm-hmm. It didn't get 100% healthy and went to China a little bit sick. And then King High Lake, you're at 8,500 feet. And, that race is so hard. And it's it's brutal. And it's like I've never spent any time at altitude. You're a little bit sick. It's oh. like this whole this whole thing. And so I didn't even finish day two. So then I spent another two weeks in China, like not riding my bike oh. in China. I mean, it's like – and it was beautiful country. I mean, like if you could go up there and just drive around and experience without – it's like – it's kind of like the Himalayan plateau, right? It's, yeah, it's, and yeah. it's like you can see forever, but like high mountains. It's 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 like you just have to go and experience. I mean, photos don't even do the place justice mm. of of how beautiful it is. And then some of the hotels we'd stay at were just like it. You see nothing. All of a sudden, this palace would just show up, and you're like, <laughs> it's like marble everywhere, and like it's just crazy. It's just a yeah. whole. And I'm super thankful and and you know grateful that I got to experience have that and I have that in my memory bank and you know know that in some aspects, like I'm happy that I maybe never have to go back for a bike race, you know, but I'm glad that I got to go experience that part of the world and, and see it and, um, that stuff. And then after that, you know, Chad Hartley called me and said, look, man, I'm running this crit team. There's no pressure. Sponsors just love cycling. Um, we don't have to go do well at any particular race, but we can just kind of go money hunting, like just pick, these secret crits that have big money that don't have a deep field. And at that time it was just like, that sounds, that sounds awesome. And like not to be money driven, but it's just like, man, if I could win good prize money without having to try all that hard with the current emotional state I am, that sounds like perfect that I don't have to go win the biggest races to get a paycheck. I can go in races, get a paycheck, get, get paid well and hang out with some rad dudes. Um, and it sounded like, kind of a dream job and so signed up and and chad was great that i've never had that much interaction with um somebody running a team and i could understand that that like jonas carney isn't going to call you every day of the week and explain and ask you about what tire you want or any other (laughs) team owner you know they're like yeah there's a lot going on yeah there's a lot going on but chad viewed you know and gave me the respect to say hey like these are options what should we do you know what do you think and i was like i get to say okay, cool. Like this is my opinion. And it's like, we just born, uh, like just built this incredible friendship, um, kind of over the years through that process, just being complete nerds over everything, tires and chains. And it, it was, it was just rad that like somebody you could finally talk to a lot, but also have other, you know, asinine conversations and stuff like that. So 2014 was, was a blast and I had crazy legs. And if you ask me how I got them, I couldn't probably tell you. <laughs> That's we, always how it is, right? It's just yeah, because like, yeah. for the longest since 2011 until just last year, more or less self-coached, and that was basically by feel. Go out, ride hard. If you're tired, go home. If you feel good, go harder. Mm. Kind of thing. Um, and there was a little more to it than that, but it was definitely um, pretty wild, wild west there for for a while. And you know how that came about. I don't quite know. I'd love to be able to repeat it or give Ben the recipe book and say, Hey, let's make sure we do this at this time frame." And we're both off to the races, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the year you won elite criterium championships. Yeah. As well, I right? won yeah. 21 races that year. And then 21, wow. And then 25 in 2015, I won 26 races, um, including another, um, crit title 
uh, with um, Chad and the rest of the guys. So it was a good time. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. bad at all. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild how kind of fate takes you in different directions, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, but, uh, here you are, you know, potentially maybe going to the Olympics someday. We'll see. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, you know, it's just, for me, it's one step at a time. And, you know, I kind of pointed at the fence a little bit um, earlier this spring when I was talking to Steve Cullen at, at Faster Days. And he's like, what's next? You know, what's in... This year, is this your coach? Uh, no, he's he runs Faster Days. He's a, you know, kind of a crit guy um, on the East Coast. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, 2016 was kind of a finding myself again because in two years I had won so much of a different variety and almost all the biggest crits that, you know, I could win that's kind of in my wheelhouse. And it was just like, what do I do next? You know, kind of like I've checked almost every box. And so 2016 was kind of like a, a finding myself and keeping that, that big fire that I built going and what can keep me excited and red hook was part of that process like does this keep the fire going is this something that i can throw myself into and so kind of a, a finding finding myself thing and then yeah the whole track thing opened up again and i grew up racing on the track it's where my heart is it's it's why i try so hard to go to the six days every winter and, and make a lot of sacrifices and missing holidays and missing time and even missing some early season road fitness um mm is is going to the six days it's it's like if you've never been to one you have to get to one and um i'm fortunate enough that like at this point in time like in this generation i have the most six day starts of any american and like that's something that i hold closer to my heart than you know a lot of my other you know single day wins is is because that's i mean my heart is is on the track it's it's where my passion for cycling grew and um i'm excited to see where riding in circles takes me the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, we'll be excited to watch that. And, um, in the near term, we'll, uh, we'll be watching for you at worlds. Thank you. Is it, uh, is the start of March, right? Uh, February 28th through March 4th in Appledore in Holland in the Netherlands. Very yep. good. Very good. Well, thanks for, uh, being so generous with your time, Daniel. Yeah. Thanks for having and, me. And, uh, safe travels to Europe and we will, we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>